Hiya, it's episode 100 and we're talking about classic science fiction film, The Fly. Came out in 1986. Hi, and welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm sorry... And this is Mark. Hiya, it's episode 100. We made it to 100, sorry. It's two zeros after a one, and those two zeros are all googly and bubbly like eyes on a fly. Delightful. (laughs) Because we're talking about a classic science fiction film in this episode, The Fly. Came out in 1986. Don't get mixed up with the 1987 version of The Fly. There was an 87? There was. I know there's a 58. <laughs> and there's a 58 version. Uh, so we're looking at the Jeff Goldblum, David Cronenberg version of this story. In this episode, we'll reveal what we thought about the film, the ins and outs of narrative and film language, plus a deep dive into a specific piece of science that the filmmakers are proposing. I guess something to do with Flies. This was directed by David Cronenberg, who we know is a big science fiction dude, director, filmmaker. I I totally recall that he was very into science fiction. I think so, yeah. And, yeah, what's that? Oh, God, I should have looked it up beforehand. But the slicey thing from the early 80s. Oh, the the thing about the guy who found an alien? Yes, that one. <laughs> the, thing. Uh, the thing with the science fiction thingy, you know, that science fiction stuff? Ah. Anyway, so David Cronenberg directed this. He also uh, contributed a fair chunk to the screenplay along with Charles Edward Pogue, uh, and it is based on The Fly by George Langelan. Yeah, Langelan. Langelang, Langelang, Langelang. George, if you're still around, get in touch with us. I, I think it's a pretty old book. Uh, short story, that one. Yes. But still, let's know uh, Langolin, how, how Langolin is pronounced because it's not that. No. I'm pretty sure. Langolin. Look, Langolin. Anyway, let's Langolin. turn back now. Georgie this, Borgie. This discussion is going to get quite <laughs> disgusting, as is the movie. Yeah. Which is very worthwhile watching. Then, after you do watch it, tune back in and have a listen to us. So, look, basically, this is a gross science fiction horror film where a scientist mutilates himself genetically into a half-man, half-fly, and we see the results unfold on screen over two hours. Yes. (laughs) It's a slow burner. It's a real beautiful... I say beautiful because I had forgotten how gross... The special effects get in this film where it just slowly David Cronenberg and co turn the man turning into fly. They just turn that screwdriver one beat at a time and we get to see every single moment until it is just flesh dripping on the ground and we have this man-sized fly, basically. Well, I mean, if you've seen the uh, Rick and Morty where they yeah. talk about the Cronenberg universe, which one of the episodes <laughs> is sort of everyone's all gross. Yep. And you go, oh, Cronenberg, you know, what the hell is that all about? Watch The Fly. Yeah, and you get it. And you'll go, oh, yes, oh, that is quite Now I unpleasant. get the reference in Rick and Morty. <laughs> in, inside Out Baboon, that sort of thing. Yeah. So what was your number one takeaway from The Fly? Oh, my number one takeaway from The Fly is, you know, the, uh, what is it they say, the second mouse gets the cheese? Mm-hmm. In this case, the second baboon gets the congratulations. Oh, the baboon. Because the first baboon. <laughs> Turned uh, into a mushy. You know, sometimes in life we're all... Feel like the first baboon. We do. We get <laughs> transported and just turn up like a mush. And 
and there's there's an interesting was it in marketing we talk about um, the innovators, the early adopters, the <laughs> majority, yeah. the laggards, and and the um, you know the very tr- I can't remember what the tail end is called, but. Yeah, isn't it the laggers at the end? Uh, well, I thought there was a, a second, like there's the the, there the, is, yeah. the early majority, the late majority, and the laggards maybe is, is yeah. the terms. Yeah. But yes, and, and in this case here, this movie definitely demonstrates that in the world of experimental physics. Mm. Uh, and certainly this is why we use animal testing, which is mm. unfortunate, but it's better to have a baboon turn inside <laughs> out. I mean, when I say it's better, it's, you know, it's, there's arguments you can make regarding this, but arguably I would say it's better that a baboon be turned inside out than, for example, your best friend. Mm. Unless your best friend is a baboon, in which case maybe use a mouse. <laughs> I would say that when I saw that in this film, I it shows you that it's 1986 because I reckon if they did that now... You wouldn't you wouldn't get to see the dead baboon. It's too controversial. Was the fly rated R? Yeah. 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 I, I mean maybe. I just think that probably I think animal activists and stuff, the way they do it now, like Hollywood wouldn't support it. Yeah. An, it an would, indie film could, but it'd be it'd be difficult. But I mean, even in this film, it's, it's not like yeah, the second baboon actually is the first baboon. Yeah. They they obviously didn't yeah. really turn a baboon inside out. <laughs> no, no. And, but nor it's, harm it in it's way, just but, the way it's like, oh, you shouldn't treat animals like that, yeah, even in sh- movies. And Yeah, you're yeah. showing. I mean, maybe now it'd just be totally CGI and I don't know, maybe they would mess it up well, mind in you, a different the, way. The con- conceptually, old Brundle knew the tragedy that would befall a baboon, mm. but he just slaughtered a baboon callously Yeah, I did, uh, I did demonstrate. Have, I did have a solid question there back on the on that on the justification of the expense of a baboon like that that wouldn't have been cheap i was like what how, how much funding does this guy have behind him you know because I've seen other science fiction films and they they don't even want to send a rat through something yeah like that. i know like, you think he just like a baboon a he just like yeah no it's dead okay here's another baboon <laughs> it's like where do you get these baboons from well, i'd like and to how ask much are you? cronenberg about that like did he have a particular reason, like, did they just have easy access to a trained baboon? Yeah. And, like, some because sometimes these films come about, like, I remember reading a Clive Barker... Um, mm, good old Clive. ...interview where he was looking at, oh, I can't remember the name, the film was about uh, demons and orgies uh, as his film... Just a typical Clive t- film. Yeah, a Clive Barker <laughs> film. And he said one of... His films came about because a special effects guy said, "Hey, look what I've figured out how to do!" Like, look what I found—a baboon. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, yeah, he's the horror special effects yeah, guy. Yeah. He found a way to simulate what would look like a person being turned inside out through their anus. Yeah, right. And it's as horrifying <laughs> as you can imagine. Of course. And Clive Barker saw this and went, "Oh, that's going in a movie." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I know just the sort of movie. It's good. that's going to happen, you know, because. During an orgy, yeah, uh, it's got to be demons involved because why else would you be turned inside out through your anus? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I've eaten at some places where perhaps that's what it felt like the next yeah. day, but this in reality. Uh, so I'm just wondering. It, it if, does feel like that after orgies. Did, did they go? Uh, let me see. We could use a cat or a dog or a, and someone says, "Oh, my cousin Joe has got a baboon. It's really <laughs> friendly. Oh, right, let's just do a baboon." That's even more horrifying. It is. It is. I think it's it's a good symbol because we always associate the monkeys and the primates not far from humans, right? Yeah. And 
it was raising the stakes because it's it's not just a rat. Like he's already at the stage of sending a baboon through. Yeah. And um, yeah, and it doesn't turn out well. So it does raise the stakes that when he jumps in the machine, is he going to make it or not? Yeah, we already know yeah. that it's kind of a it's sketchy a situation. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. In fact, uh, there's a few things about this film that I'll get into a bit sketchy. later about that. But <laughs> yeah, there's a few sketchy things here. But the question is though, is this a movie of hope? Is it warning or an experiment? I reckon it's warning, warning, warning. Oh, it's a and warning for sure. It's a clear one because it's just the scientists pushing the extremes of science to the science fiction realm, and he's basically he's basically punished for it, isn't he? Well, you because know? also he does it out of drunken jealousy. Yeah, so he doesn't do is, it out of clear head, yeah, sobriety, yeah. science. It's like the same logical. as in Spider Man with the Green Goblin. Yeah. Um, What's that? What's that? I can never remember the name of the um, Oz Ozcorp Oscorp, or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, he wanted to push ahead with his experiment, not because he thought that he was bettering humanity, mm. but because there's financial ruin involved. He didn't want the people to take his money off him. Yeah, and so he did the dangerous experiment, and he got punished. Yep. And indeed, here he goes. He goes like gets jealous, rage, and he's drunk, and mm. he goes ahead with. He breaks it. He promises that he'd you know, go through it with her there and they'd, they'd mm. experience it together, whatever. But he's and, drunk and he's jealous and yeah, so he goes for it, yeah. Cardinal sins. Big cardinal sins. So a bit of a horror trope. It also is a little bit more like, you know, invasion of the body snatches or um, uh, I'm just trying to think what else we've looked at, which where it's just a very simple... Oh, what's another one that we've looked at where it is just pushing the science and then there's a deliberate... Event horizon. Event horizon, yeah, yeah. That actually, perfect. So it's like, yeah, just push the realm to the realm that we maybe shouldn't go to and yeah. then therefore you get punished for it's it. Like, so, yeah, it's, it's the forbidden knowledge. It's, yeah, forbidden it, fruit. The, um, it's the, the Adam the, story, isn't the, it? This, really? And the story of Prometheus. Yeah. Uh, the steel and yeah, the fire yeah. and... Yeah. yeah, and Alien actually is that, isn't it, right? Yeah, like Alien, alien as well because they get... they de- the. Corporations doing it for greed, yeah. not for science. They they want to get a, a military advantage. We we think um, so. Urban pacification, they said. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's whenever someone is doing it, and in this case, poor old Jeff Goldblum is jealous, and he he goes ahead with the experiment. And my, isn't he ripped in this? Oh, yeah, he is. This, he's, if a, you, he's a good looking fellow. If you're a bit of a Jeff Goldblum fan, get this movie, and in the first half. He's looking fine. The second, second half, not so much. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably why he wanted to make sure he was super ripped in that first bit because he needs some. I thought about it what so when I started watching. I'm like, yeah, he comes out of these things naked, doesn't he? Like he's full nud. Oh, um, yeah. He needs to be in the ripped shape of his life, you know. So yeah, isn't that funny? I wonder at what point you're going to get a Hollywood film where the guy who's Jumping naked in or teleporting naked through time like the Terminator, hmm. but he's got you know a bit of a dad bod. Yeah, nothing, nothing over the top in either direction. But he, well, you're probably he, just not going to get it in a Hollywood action. He could definitely. Sci-fi, I don't reckon. Yeah, I think that's a bit unfair. Yeah, my my understanding is that most people with the uh, the the big chunky ripped physique are actually not at their peak. <laughs> if, all the interviews of you know you hear from Hugh Jackman and his Wolverine is like uh, he, he had. The, the big shirt off raw scene where he's all vein popping and all the rest of it. You know, he sweated himself dry and he <laughs> starved himself and then he did yeah. 
you know, a whole bunch of exercise beforehand and he's just just about fainting by the time he gets off that. And then he goes, they literally oh, have someone propping them up. Yeah, really thank God that shot. shot's off, you know, yeah. down. And, then you can eat now. <laughs> and I was, I was also hearing about um, uh, Jason Momoa. He's, you, you watch that Slumberland? Yes, yeah, it, I have seen that with the kids. He's yeah. dead bodying in that one. like, And and that's apparently closer to his, just his normal everyday sort of yeah, yeah. physique. But then he goes superhero mode and he, he has to spend a couple of months doing the whole bodybuilder routine yeah, and yeah. then he gets jacked up for the one the Big one or two shot. scenes where he's like topless totally and ripped, doing his yeah. things and you're going, wow, what a hunk of spunk. And you go like, <laughs> yeah, that was like shot over two days and then no, at no other time <laughs> did he appreciate it. And, and he, he says, yeah, it, it doesn't feel good. He doesn't enjoy it. It's not like you feel like you're in the top no, peak shape of your life. No, no, no. I, I heard another Dax Shepard talk about this many moons ago that he just talking about a romantic com where he knew – you know, obviously from reading the script, he's going to be naked in a moment in the film with Drew Barrymore. Like he, there's a nud scene with him. And uh, so he's like, I literally didn't eat for two weeks. Yeah. Just so I was as skinny as I could be. Like you're not talking about the Hugh Jackman being ripped thing. It's just I want to be skinny. Yeah. And so he didn't eat for two weeks. As soon as that scene was shot of him being in the nude with Drew Barrymore, uh, he just started carving back up for the rest of the shoot because he couldn't he couldn't concentrate, couldn't think straight, as we all know. So yeah, no. no good for you. Don't do it. Keep keep your meals. Keep hydrated. That'd but on the other hand, we do end up with a, a rather attractive Jeff Goldblum. We do. I think he's probably at his, yeah, his handsome peak here. Now, this film was in 1986. I was reasonably young when that came out. I remember seeing this probably around the age of something like 10, 11, 12, probably a TV uh, version first. Oh, wow, that would um, be heavily cut. Yeah, heavily cut, although maybe it was a you know later Saturday night version or something, uh, and then seeing a sort of VHS copy. So when, and, But then I haven't seen it since. And I went into this, sorry, thinking, I wonder how it's going to date, how is it going to last. What Did you see this back in the 80s or 90s? I didn't see it when it was first released, 86 uh, I saw Back to the Future when it was, was released and I was just a little wee youngster. Uh, I was in Canada, in mm. fact, at the time. And so I came back, yada, yada, yada. I think this was, much like some of these other 80s films, a high school sleepover, mm. five movies, five dollars, VHS <laughs> special thing. Yeah. I don't know how they let a bunch of... <coughs> Used to slip it in. Used to slip it in the pile of five yeah, and then I mean, put it in so. the middle and sometimes just... Because we, we went through a, a phase of watching these sort of yeah, horror yeah. films. Yeah, we watched like, you know, Chud and yeah. uh, The Howling and uh, any of those other sort of... Um, Freddy Krueger probably. Yeah, and, a, bit, a bit of Nightmare on Elm Street type stuff, Hellraiser and so yeah. on. And I remember, yeah, I, I think... I've definitely seen it once. Might have seen it a second time. Not sure. Can't like I can't. Yeah. I can't specifically recall. But certainly once, and it was definitely. I, I think definitely at a, at a high school sleepover time. So deal. the years have gone by. Maybe fifteen, twenty years since that viewing. Do you think it stood the test of time? Fifteen, twenty years since that. You're, you're generous. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, you realize twenty years is still. In the 21st century, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, 30 years ago, if you want me to it's, say. It's, it's surprisingly good. It's the the music uh, for the mid-'80s tended to be a little bit jarring, but this was quite orchestral and mm. swelling and, and heavy, which is unusual for the time. Yeah. And I'm watching it the other night and, yeah, I was, I was wondering at what point you could spot 80s-isms like yeah, the yeah. 
the heavy smoking, which that would have been her house yeah, would have just fashion, reeked. That would have been the hair. Well, that's the thing. But I think overall, even when it got to the the practical effects, much of that was actually far more shocking than I've seen digital stuff. Yeah, oh, like, yeah, yeah. Like actual lumps and chunks of things fall off and he pulls his fingernails out yeah. and, you know, white goop squirts out. The, and The goopy stuff was And it, it's just, it, it was actually almost a little bit stomach turning. Yeah. And I've, I've seen some pretty, you know, gross sort of films, but mm. yeah, it was actually kind of a bit <laughs> awful. And, <laughs> and the escalation of it too is what got me. Yeah. As you said, the first half of the film, there's a couple, uh, there's some foreshadowing in there of various bits and pieces and there's a few close-ups of, of things which kind of, intensify you give you a bit of a hint of what's coming but then from that you know from the midpoint it starts he starts degrading and then certainly when you get into that last third it's just it goes from naught to 102.6 seconds and then all of a sudden you get in that last bit and he's vomiting acid on the guy's hand (laughs) and it doesn't just vomit on his hand he goes ah and it pulls away and there's just smoke you don't see anything the camera just lingers on this dissolving stump it's brilliant and I loved it. him vomiting all over his ankle and delight, watching in delight <laughs> as it melts, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's just, yeah, it, very effective in that which, sense. Which, like, again, like you said, foreshadowing, there's also what's nice about that moment in the film is earlier he had, there was a moment with Gina Davis that he goes, oh, and he, this is when he's sort of transforming into the flight mm. already. Like he's already well and truly past a, a healthy point. And he, he kind of demonstrates it to her. He goes, a fly vomits, you know, like, so he's telling us as an audience. Yeah. But he actually then goes, oh, that's rather disgusting. Like, and, and that's what we mean by the slow escalation of the plot mm. here, which is done so well, I reckon, that because even in that moment, he's like, ha, bleh. And he's like, oh, that's gross. So it's like he's fighting a bit like a bipolar yeah. scenario of two individuals in the one body. Whereas, you know, that scene by the end, he is a fly, you know, oh. like it's, you're right, he vomits on the guy's arm and he's like, you know, like I've got you, you know, like a fly would think. Yeah. And I loved, I, I really loved that escalation of it. Oh. You know, like I think it was so done good. so well. And, and I think a lot of more recent films with in the body horror genre have tended to go into it too quickly. Like this one here, you don't get any of the real horror in this in this sense until well into the second half. Yeah. The first half is all that build up. And as I said, there's a few little hints here and there, mm. like a few ideas dropped for you. Yep. But, yeah, and then that, that last sequence of, you know, him his flesh falling off him and revealing his fly body self it's just by the end by the and then the the, the film sort of ends at the at that point and yeah, you're yeah. just left going that was wow you know you're, you're shocked you're shaken <laughs> yeah, yeah. you've and a lot of a lot of a uh, lot of films could be said they are good because they leave you with some sort of a feeling at the end of it at the end of it you're feeling you know happy or sad or mm. whatever in this place shocked yep. you're just like that is the whole thing is horrific yeah definitely and so what about your own sci-fi? Are you thinking that you'll bring some of this horrificness into your own sci-fi at the moment? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've sort of tried to do a bit of that. I was, I was reading, it wasn't sci-fi book, but it was, uh, it's a fantasy book I wrote. Uh, and that has a flesh amalgam giant that looks like a human terrine. Mm. If you can imagine, so pressed bodies into the shape of a larger Ooh, nice. person. Lovely. <laughs> that was definitely inspired by the Clive Barker 
Cronenberg yeah. style of. Well, and that's a little bit like the Akira yeah, world as well, isn't a bit it? Like Akira-ish, yeah. This, yeah, this idea well. of of that you can actually have something that looks like a you know a humanoid, a person, yeah. but itself is made of like you know like Transformers <laughs> or Voltron. <laughs> It's yeah. like it itself is made up by yeah. compressing actual humans in awful Disgusting. ways into the shape of another person, Disgusting. which then acts on its own. That's just, I thought that was quite, yeah, that's it, cool. it was more of a fantasy story that yeah, one, yeah. but you know, it's still, still that way going. And uh, I mean, there's a lot, as we say, to take from a film like this as a writer, because yeah, there is that slow burn at the start of mm. character and building their relationship. However, in saying that, you know, within the first minute, two minutes of this film, he's already got her at the lab and he's already selling the idea mm. and he's basically selling the idea to us, the audience as well, and he's doing that to try to get laid, I suppose, in a way and and sort of egotistically go, hey, I'm the greatest scientist in the world. And and so even though it's not straight into the you know the the horror of it, we are. It's almost I reckon this film is is kind of like a a clock, and it's that beating down as you were just describing right at the end of the film. You're almost shocked at well, the ending. There's no happily ever after. There's no that's what happened to these characters. Like what happens next, which quite often film has. But mm. it's 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 like we've taken on a beat by beat of. A scientist becoming a fly. Yes. Like that's literally, you can imagine them, you know, we talk about the beats and we'll come to that in a moment, but it's it's almost like you could say this film has 12 or 20 beats of how does someone go from being a human to a fly and that's where it's going to start and that's where it's going to end. There's no other bits to it, you know, and that's what we would see in so many other traditional stories. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, there's a really good take here, I reckon, as a writer, you can see how David Cronenberg and George, who Hogue, wrote the yeah. original one, who I don't know how to say his last name, and who was the other scriptwriter? Pogue. Yeah, uh, Pogue, yeah. So, like, you can yeah, really yeah. see that um, how they, how they've, it's masterfully put together, those beats, I reckon. And I, I was looking through, when I was watching this film, because uh, it's always interesting when you're watching a film a second time with an eye to construction. Mm. Because I was having a look and I noticed that there's a lot of foreshadowing in here, which is what keeps you going through the quieter parts. Yeah. You're realizing that things are happening and your imagination's starting to work. And it's, it's very well done in that when you're first watching the first time, you probably don't necessarily notice much of it. Yeah. And I, I took a few notes of it. So right at the start, she, uh, Seth takes Veronica into his lab and there's a piano there and he goes over and plays piano, which I assume is sort of meant to show to say, look, he's, he's brilliant. He can, he's a scientist, but he also plays piano, which takes a while to master. Yeah. Uh, but then he says, you know, that's the telepods and whatever. And he says, you can't tell anyone because you all know you know too much. <laughs> I'll have to, I can't let you leave here alive. And he goes, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and so when he, he delivers it, in a somewhat sinister fashion, yeah. like, but then he kind of hams it up with a bit of the piano bang, you know, the what do you call it, sting, <laughs> you know. But that in itself is kind of that foreshadowing where, as an audience, you go, "Ooh, that was yeah. a bit sinister." Oh no, he's just being playful. Yeah, but it's, it's very foreshadowing. But you say, you're kind like, of yeah, the evil doctor lair, aren't we? Like, we are we in an evil lair kind of yeah, idea? evil lair, and then of course. They're, they're um, post 
coital mucking about and Veronica grabs him and sort of says, oh, you're so delicious, I could just eat you up. <laughs> Which again is like, you know, at the time it just seems a cute, playful yeah. thing. But again, later on in the film, that's what he wants to do mm. is eat people up. Eat well, I don't know if he wants to eat people up, but he certainly, you get the impression that that would come next. And when he does his little insect politics speech, where he basically says, yeah, the insects don't have politics. They don't have politicians because, you know, they don't negotiate. They don't. Yeah, they just kill. They don't try to work. They just live very black and white. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's a few other. There's another one was the other, oh, the fly buzzing around the baboon. Yeah. That was kind of foreshadowing that. Like that was very close, that one. But then also just like the computer chip. He rolls over and gets stuck in the back with yeah. a computer chip. And it could have just been like a, a bit of a distance shot and go, oh, ah, oh, yeah, pulls that. Huh. Funny thing, I was wondering where that got to, you know, just sort of showing he's a slightly eccentric sort of scientist. Yeah. But instead the camera went right in close to it so you could see it was piercing his flesh. Yeah. And when she pulled it out, it was a slow plucking as each prong came for, yeah, like it, mm. it was that bit of body horror, a bit of that sort of yeah. look at how excruciating this is. Yeah, and actually the other thing was even how this film opens, it opens with those credits and it's it's very um, multi-dimensional little bubble kind mm. of little I, flicks of lights. I thought it looked lights. a bit like uh, uh, something on a cell plate you know, under yeah. a microscope or something like that. Well, yeah, and I mean, it, it, it could have had that feel, but it also could be like looking through the eyeball of a fly. A like fly, when yeah. there's like, you know, things aren't in focus the way a human focuses. Mm. You know, it's lots of commotion. Or is it like a swarm of flies or a swarm of insects, yeah. you know? And even that opening shot straight away is a, it's a, a very tight group of humans at a party, mm. you know, so it's like the humans are like a swarm in a way, you know what I mean? Like they're very on top of each other. But, yeah, so there's lots of lots of foreshadowing in this. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's really, I think, um, quite, quite a good way of getting that build-up attention mm. because by the time you get to the point where things are starting to go bad, you may not necessarily know why, yeah. but, you know, we saw that close-up of the the bit coming out of his back mm. and the whole you may not get out here alive and yeah. there's a few other sort of bits where like his fly hairs come out of the little yeah. wound and it's separating a bit you know it's all that sort of build up you, you you're getting a bit of uneasy tension mm. the whole way through yep. you don't know what the outcome is going to be are they going to discover uh try to find a cure for him or what and even the editor who ends up you know, he loses the arm and the hand yes. and the foot. He is a really gross, despicable man. Oh, yeah. Like, so, you know, you talk again about that first kind of half of this film. You know, you're not sure, you know, the tension's building. Anytime, every scene he's in, he's, it's creepy. It's gross. Oh, he's you know, horrible. Like, like, he's a horrible man to Gina Davis. You know, like, he's constantly pestering her for sex. He's... Like, you know, he, break, he comes into her apartment, has a shower without her, con, you know, consent. And sure, in the 80s, that's what men did. But 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 he, he is just so, so over the top. Like he even, he even says to her, oh, basically, can we just have sex yeah. as, your, as your boss if you kind of continue? Can we just have that as a relationship? Well, I think you know? he asks, uh, and, um, you know, can I, you know, dispose of your, your body or can I, yeah. can can I, I take have, possession of your body yeah. when you're Even you're when dead? you're dead. Yeah. So what's he going to do with that? And then, dead? you know, he's like, she's like, what? And then he kind of goes, ha, ha, ha. But the the guy, uh, was it John Getz? 
Yeah. Say his name? Yeah. It's like, is that uh, the, the actor? Did I get? Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, yep. phew. Yep. Okay. Just the facial expression he gives there is kind of that sort of nervous well, kind of, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, it's like, oh, my goodness. I mean, this guy is, he's a predator waiting to happen. He's, he is. He's a total predator. He, to he say. stalks her and he does it. But the, it's really cool because by the end, he's almost a sympathetic character. Yeah, he is. He totally and He's is, sort of like coming in to save the day. Yeah, like, yeah. it's just, you feel, I, I feel a bit conflicted because I was like, I remembering the whole rest of the film. Yeah, he's not he's, a nice guy. He's underlying. He's not something you want to associate yeah. with. He's so nasty. May, maybe they put him in there because it is the foreshadowing of a predator. Like, because that's what he kind of is. He's a mm. predator to her until there is a real predator. Well, and it then also he kind of steps in, doesn't it? Also he? drives Veronica to Seth. Yes, it because does, Seth, yeah. on the other hand, is kind of a bit bumbling and a bit yeah. kind of seems like the nicer guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and maybe and, that's the thing. It's that old Christopher Nolan does this a lot, where you can have a bad character, you then need to make everyone else worse. You know, it's the Hannibal Lecter story, isn't it? Yeah. As well, so. Hannibal Lecter can pull someone's face off and we can cheer for him as long as there's someone worse in the because film. Because the person whose face he's pulling off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But as long as there's then like, a, you know, put your lotion on your skin, I'm going to tip a bottle of, uh, you know, cold freezing water on you in the hole, you're like, oh, yeah, that guy Buffalo Bill is kind of worse than Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> so I'm on Hannibal's side, you know, like so yeah, you, no, it's... you that it's that old trick a little bit that, he was disguising that Jeff Goldblum's character, Seth, was a bit, maybe a little bit more on the It's that fallacy of side. the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You go, no, yeah. no, the enemy of my enemy is my enemy. Yeah, still my enemy. As he just happens to also be the enemy of my enemy. Like, yeah, there's, there's right. no requirement for him to be uh, good. Okay, so before we jump into more details about the plot, let's have a little uh, shout out for the Space Brain Sci-Fi Festival coming very soon. Uh, by the time this episode goes out, it might be too late to submit a film. Yeah, I think. I think. I think so. I We've think got it's on the, two the more, weekend, two more, three more days from here that you this can is out submit on a, a film. Saturday, and I think it's a Saturday the thirtieth. Yeah, okay, there you go. So, unfortunately, by the time you listen to this, it might be too late. In saying that, give a shout out. Make sure that you've submitted. If not, there's probably some other cool sci-fi festivals out there. None as cool as Space Brains. No, not as cool, right? Especially if you're a local Mandra sci-fi filmmaker. And apart from that, you can also buy tickets to the event. And tickets the event available. includes a couple of really great workshops. We're going to be running a podcast workshop. This is episode 100, so you're going to be talking to guys that know what they're talking about with podcasts. We've got a well-renowned expert sci-fi writer. He's edited a sci-fi magazine for or years. Three. Um, he's also um, won awards. He's currently lecturing at a university about uh, author and writing um steven deadman steven deadman yes yeah. uh so he's doing a two-hour workshop uh so come to that if you're a budding writer or you want to learn more about writing that's going to be a real great hands-on workshop and then a little bit later we've got uh internationally renowned he's got feature films on netflix sci-fi the occupation series and he's got a new feature film about to come out uh, starring barry pepper and sam neill uh, they just, I noticed the other day he posted saying he's finishing the ADR, so it's getting close to getting Man, it out it's there. Done. 
He was just at the Supernova Comic Con over in Gold Coast, you know, promoting that film. So he's a guy that writes, directs, feature films, big actors. Fundraisers. Fundraisers. You know, he, he knows bigger budgets. Uh, he knows, you know, all sorts of things about selling and marketing and you know, he deals with Netflix. Netflix have lined him up, I know, to also do a sci-fi TV show coming soon. So this guy is called Luke Spark. He knows his way around a, fi- a film. So, yeah, again, if you're a budding filmmaker, get in the room with Luke Spark. And so we're going to have him presenting probably about a 30-minute presentation before going into the film festival component. Yes, the screenings of some amazing films you will never have seen before. That's right, premiering. In the cinema, on the big screen. So come on down, grab a ticket to it uh, and come say hi as well. Yeah, yeah, you can get us at filmfestival.spacebrains.com.au or jump on a Humanitics and search for Space Brains Film yep. Festival. I'm sure you'll find it. Yeah. Anything along those lines. We look forward to seeing you there. Be there. Okay. All right, so let's get stuck into some of the details of the film. We said David Cronenberg and uh, Pogue. Wrote the screenplay based on that um, short story, The Fly, by George Langelin. Langelin. Uh, Lang or Langelin. Langelin. Maybe, yeah, maybe. It could actually. be Langelin. Sometimes you pronounce these things, sorry, and I'm like, yeah, you should be pronouncing yeah. these things all the time. <laughs> uh, and David also uh, directed this. As I said, he's a famous sci-fi feature filmmaker, made a whole bunch of other films. Go check him out. This film got nominated. Did it win the Oscar? Uh, best special, yeah, yep. bloody hell, and it's his only Oscar um, for any of Cronenberg films, uh, which is probably a bit of a missed opportunity. Oscars, but yeah, go check out Cronenberg's collection. If at least you're vomiting at the end of some of his films, he's probably done a really good job. Oh yes, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, and look. If I was going to cast a guy to be a fly, Jeff Goldblum is the perfect casting. He's yeah. got the bubbly eyes. Like he's, he's also got he's, the, the speech mannerisms that kind yeah. of come and go. I mean, he's a good-looking man. I'm not saying he's not a good-looking man at all, but he just fits the profile. Like, if you're going to put it in there. He, he does look like a scientist. Well, he got he cast, looks like a scientist. cast yeah. as a chaos mathematician or yeah. something in Jurassic Park for the yeah. same reason. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's sort of got that, you know, charming sort of academic appeal. Yes, he does. And John Getz plays the disgusting, just normal male in this, as we were just talking about. Um, this film had a had a reasonably healthy budget for the time, not a huge blockbuster one. They, I can see online it's between about 9, 10 to 15 mil, but it smashed at the box office at the time. Absolutely. Um, got a lot of critical success. Audiences loved it. Uh, teenage boys were renting it from VHS shops, for the next 15, 20 years. So I'm sure the box office kind of kept creeping up and still does today. Um, And it is available to get online through uh, Disney and, uh, you know, you can buy it and stuff through Prime, etc. So I'm sure it is actually still making Cronenberg and Co. a bit of money on the side, actually. So yeah, it did. It did very well, and was nominated for an Oscar as well, and won one for yeah, best. Yeah, I mean, it got a couple other awards. Yeah, BAFTAs. Yeah, uh, nominated for BAFTA best picture, yeah. uh, and then there was like the oh, shockingly, I can't remember what it is now. It's got a couple Shocking of awards, awards under it there. Yes. <laughs> Probably won some monster horror film festival oh, for sure. things or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, great, great um, film and had a lot of success at the time. Spawned a sequel as well. There was The Fly 2. Yeah, that was actually the makeup of... artist wrote that, right, directed yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So that came out a few years later. I remember I remember watching that at the time um, or, you know, some 
probably again like you sleepovers or something. Yeah. So we do like to break the films uh, down into a three-act structure. This all comes from good script writing teachers. You can find these out there, people like McPhee and um, Schneider and Field and Campbell, etc. all talk about this, plus there's a, probably a whole bunch of others that do too. Uh, and we just like to focus when we do this. And it's like we're saying, this is a film where you do, you can really see the beats and to me it's, a lot of script writing teachers talk about the analogy of tightening the screwdriver on scenes, on drama. And I reckon, I really felt like this was a film where it was. It was like the screwdriver was mm. just getting tighter and tighter. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, Jeff Goldblum, Seth's character, it just, his world starts when he meets Gina and he's about to probably, you know, he's so close to this technology, isn't it? Yeah. He's so close to it and probably should have kept his penis in his pants and just finished the damn experiment and he would have been all right, but he I, didn't. I think I think as he said, and, though, he'd been working on it for, for so long by yeah. himself that he just needed to tell kinda someone. Kind of needed it. And maybe if he'd just stuck the path as well, even with her, um, you know. But anyway, it's a really great example of, you know, we wouldn't have had a drama film. Yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't have had any drama if it just was all, oh, meet you at a party, oh, I had a good time, fell in love, science experiment works. Yeah, works. World famous scientists, the end. Yes. No totally different travel film. sickness, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's just that perfect example that I felt like every beat here was tightening the story, tightening the noose mm. on Seth's future, really. And, um, yeah, you know, I mean, Spider-Man gets... Uh, you know, hopefully this isn't spoiling it for anyone, but gets bitten by a radioactive spider and becomes Spider-Man pretty quickly, really, in the plot point, doesn't he? Yeah. You know, like he becomes, that's that montage sequence, well, that's that fun of, and games. It's kind of the, almost the, the inciting the, incident. It almost really. is right, right? Yeah, yeah. So he almost does that and he's got to learn, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, blah, blah, blah. This is not that story. This is okay. You've you've been bitten by the spider. Now you're turning into a spider. Yes. <laughs> and here you're turning into a fly. And it's, so it's just like, okay, what is that going to mean for someone? Chunks of flesh on the ground. You're no longer a human. Yeah. And very so, very dramatically, obviously not a human. Yeah. So it's not a super fly. It's not fly like powers. It's no. You're becoming the fly. So. Yeah, that, that tightens and tightens and tightens. So in the first act, sorry, we have the opening image. We have the, you're saying the catalyst. We have the um, debate. Debate. We have the breaking into two. What happens in act two? In act two, we go straight into a bit of, let's explore what it means to have chosen, you know, this, to, to come into act two. So the inciting incident has promised something. Mm. It's like, uh, we're going to have this experiment that teleports people. And so, well, let's explore what that is. So we have some fun and games, which is where we start looking at the outcomes of these things. And this will usually build a sort of in the midpoint, which might be a um, an apparent victory. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, a false victory is quite common. Mm-hmm. And it's particularly if you're talking about these sporting team game, the yeah. movies, they, they are just the epitome of this scene where they'll they'll win some major thing and they go, hurrah, aren't we amazing? Uh, but that's always a turning point where it's like, yeah, hurrah, aren't we amazing? Uh, but the coach uh, has fallen back to his alcoholism mm. because he celebrated too hard. Yeah. 
And then now you know, ah, oh, it's all just going to be downhill from here. Yeah. And that's what happens is, is you reach this midpoint, which is sort of um, if you stop the story there, often it would be, oh, what a nice little romp. Of course, we haven't resolved anything. No. He's, he's not changed. The, the, the protagonist is, is he in this case. Uh, and so we move into the second half of Act 2, which is kind of, you might well sort of say, if the first half is the fun and games, this is the, what's the opposite of fun? This is the, the sadness. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> the sadness and not games. Yeah. Work. Sadness and work. Sadness and work. Yes. Sad because, work. Because it comes down the other side where invariably, and we, I think we have, we've said this every episode, he ends up sitting on the side of the road mm. in the rain with a broken down car. Yeah. Yes. Uh, or half a body that's a fly, yeah. as the case may be. But it, things get worse and worse, or harder and harder, yeah. complicated, more complicated. Not necessarily mm. worse, but it could yeah. just become more complicated. Yeah. Things, um, things start revealing failures or flaws or a weakness in knowledge or learning yeah. uh, from the first half. And we get to the end of Act 2, usually with the, the loss uh, they call it the whiff of death, mm-hmm. and sometimes it, it is literally something has died, mm-hmm. uh, or it could just be you know some concept or initial thought. You know, the sporting team, their 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 opportunity to play in the grand finals has disappeared. Yeah, it looks like there's no way they can do it. Like their star player is out, their coach is in rehab. You know. And, yeah. And so on and so well, forth. They just lost the opportunity. They can't it. actually. They do can't it. do yeah. it. Uh, and that's it's. If the movie ended there, it would be a French film. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, well, some of them. But you know, if it if it ended there again, you'd you'd be disappointed because all you saw was someone making mistakes for the first half of the film, and the second half of the film, they just. The, nothing. They, got worse. they neither got particularly <laughs> punished for it. They didn't learn any lessons. There's no justice. Mm. It's just bad. Yeah. Uh, which is why you've got to have a third act. And yeah. if you fail to have the third act, you end up with people walk away going, "What a strangely disappointing film." Mm. Uh, which yeah, there are some artists, and that's they intentionally do that yeah, in order that to make you yeah. walk away and just think you suck. Mm. <laughs> which is yeah, it's a reaction. You're yeah. an artist. You want a reaction. What's the third act, though? Well, as you said, life is, what do we say, uh, sad work. Sad work, And so yes. they've got to do the sad work to get yeah. themselves to the happy ending. Yes. So they, you know, they have to pick themselves off the side of the road. They have to gather the tools. They have to get the people around them. They have to get the resources. And they have to confront whatever it was probably holding them back at the start. So that mm. sporting team, the only way... To actually get to that grand final is to overcome all those obstacles. So the coach has to sober up. The lead player has to either play with a bandage around his leg or teach the other player, like the the, the water boy, how to actually kick, teach him his secret or whatever, no. right? Like, And then they have to gather enough money to get a plane ride to Sydney to go to the grand final, mm. right? So they have to kind of come over all that all that sort of stuff. And, of course, to make it a really riveting story as a rider, they might do that. They get those sea things. The coach sobers up. The player, the water boy can kick the ball. There's a bit of a – they didn't realise actually he's quite a good kick. Uh, they get a they, – they do a – 
a washing of everyone's car and they collect enough money and they're working as a team. Uh, but then they sort of have to have one final hurdle, don't they? No, they that, do. that really brings it all back. And so that's where there's that, like Sari was just saying, you can be disappointed as an audience member. You really need that one final extra hurdle to get over right at the end. And so we, we, we give that as a writer, we throw that. And that's what I meant with the fly as in David and Pogue here have, have, tighten that screwdriver right to the end, even when he vomits and um, disintegrates sorry, the guy's arm and leg. You think, oh, God, it's all over now, right? Like, yeah. And he puts Gina Davis into the teleport machine. You're kind of like, how, how, how do they get out of this? How does, he, how does yeah, she actually get, you know? That's, like, that's a complication. This is a serious complication. She's, and there's no way out. And, and he fleshes off. He is a fly, you know, the size of a human. So, so you really throw everything at it, you know, and other writing teachers will say, you know, you, you, you put your character and you run them over with the bus and then you, then you bring another bus, you know, and that's yeah. what, that's what you need to do here. You bring another bus on top of your character, um, and see if they survive that. And so that's what you've got to do. And if they do, that's kind of that climax of the film and they overcome it. And hopefully they lean on all the learnings of the story to actually overcome the climax, defeat the bad guy, defeat themselves, whatever, and actually survive. And then that's where we get that happily ever after. This film, <laughs> The Fly, doesn't actually do that. No. <laughs> it just, it does have the climax, but then it doesn't have the happily ever after. No, it's actually, we should, well, we'll wait to talk about yeah. that. It's, it's very interesting, I think. Let's jump straight in then to, to have a look at a couple of these beats that happen in the film. Yeah, so it's interesting, the start of this, he basically is, it's straight into a conversation of um, Seth and Gina Davis, and he's trying to pick her up, basically, isn't he? He's saying he's the best scientist in the world. He's going to change the world. Change the world. And at the end, he's not changed the world? No, not really. He's dead. He's dead. He's defeated. Yes. <laughs> Have a look into my mind. You're okay there. I can see it. It's on the floor. Yeah, it's on the floor. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So there's our bookends. They yeah. are opposites. They are opposites. And I, I think, I think that yeah, the final image, if you like, we kind of don't have much of a final image. Like the final oh. image is is like a splattered brain head explosion thing, yeah. and Jenny Davis screaming. Yeah. Which. Is kind of like the other end of it is they're smiling, they're flirting, they're happy. Yeah. So there is that party. kind of like, oh, you know, here life is easy and it's good and uh, isn't mm. this fun? And at the end it's like, yeah, life is really horrible, it's hard, it's it's a pool of congealing <laughs> fly goo. Yes. You know, which is – but I, I think actually with the final image here, they kind of cut it short to add the the horror aspect. Like they, yeah, don't, yeah. they don't have it, you know, pan back and then have – uh, Veronica go over and help her horrible ex-boyfriend up <laughs> and they hobble off back down to the car and kind of sit and go, ah. Yeah, yeah. Like that would have been, a, you know, a way of doing it. Mm. And, in fact, uh, I think there was an earlier cut of this which has a little epilogue coda which mm. says that, you know, she gets the baby aborted and has a child with the, her ex-boyfriend or something. Mm. Yeah, like... That doesn't. I don't know. Maybe someone has seen that version. I. I after yeah. reading about that, I went back and had a look at the end. And said, no, it goes from head explode, scream, straight to credits. Yeah, because you because you could have done. You know, if you take Die Hard, yeah, classic Die Hard is 
you know, at the start, he's basically divorced from his wife. Yeah. At the end, they're together in the limousine. Yeah. Um, so obviously in Die Hard, their relationship isn't, he's not disgusting like John gets his <laughs> no. character. But again, like she clearly doesn't want to be with her husband, John McCain, whereas at the end they're kind of embraced in the back of the limousine. Yeah. But it is only a minute after he's just killed Hans. Like yeah. it's, so this film could have done that, right? Like it could have had that little ending of her helping him hobble down the steps. Yeah, but see, that thing. would reduce the tension, though. It like, would. And Cronenberg doesn't do that. No, he doesn't do like, that. Like, if, if you've seen The Thing, so, for example, yeah. and, and even, like, Total Recall is the same. Yeah. It's like you're left you're Total Recall bit. going, what? Yeah. Is and, it a know, dream? People still argue about whether it's a dream or not. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, The Thing, no one gets out of that alive. Yeah. And, in fact, the, uh, yeah, and this one here, it just ends with her screaming. Yeah. And they goop all over the place. Mm-hmm. If you had then broken that tension by having that because even you, you said John McClane and his um, his wife in the have a cuddle in the limousine. Yeah. It doesn't actually show like they could just cuddle and say, Oh yeah. thank you, John. You know, like, yeah. you know this divorce, they get back this divorce continues on and so forth, yeah. but at least we can be I think we can be amicable. I think yeah. we realise that we do have value and they go off on their happy ways. But you don't need that. No. What it's showing though is that there is a, a release of tension. You've had Die Hard go all the way through that. And then at the very end it's kinda of like, ah, oh, okay, it's warm. Yeah, yeah. And if you'd had that with this film here, even if you just helped him and yeah. hobble down into the car to take him to the hospital, mm. you've got that ah oh, Yeah, yeah. And that's nice. Cronenberg doesn't like the no, ah, oh, it's like nice. It. That's right. And so this film it stops you're left on this note of horror. Yeah. Where and, you... and I will I will say that he's also decided the film starts with uh, Seth kind of going after her, right? Like mm. he's he's kind of a little bit aggressive at the party. There's, very there's, there's no like, you know, you could have had a grand entrance of her coming into this party. You could have had her talking to other scientists. Yeah. You could have had her sort of, you know, but the whole that whole opening scene is Seth trying to you know, convince her he's the number one scientist in the world that she needs to get to know. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's the opening scene. We talked a bit about the, the closing scene. What about the, the interesting thing I thought here with The Catalyst is this is one of those films that doesn't have that really obvious no. frame one to frame two, that's where the catalyst is. I, re- I agree, this yeah. one This one was kind of um, my notes are sort of saying uh, they go a cheeseburger. And they, yeah, they go have lunch at the diner. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, he's explained about the telepods, mm. and she's you know said that she's going to um, do the, the the article. And I think this is kind of the inciting incident is like the article is starting to build. Oh, there's something going on here. Mm. And then at the at the cheeseburger lunch. He says, no, come work with me. Mm. And I think that's it because the debate then is will she go ahead with the article or will she go and work with him yeah. to do his thing? That, that, I think that's sort of the debate, which means the inciting incident must be before that about, uh, you know, will, will his experiment be exposed to the world? Yeah. You know, that sort of hinging moment there because that changes his, his world. Yeah. He was just happily... Um, had that incident not happened where she says, oh, I'm going to write the article, he would have just happily plotted on his way. Like if mm. she'd just gone and not been a reporter and he, he would have just plotted along, done the right things and he would have got it 
uh, maybe another year or two even, he would have worked out and it just would have, you know, no story. But suddenly his world got changed. It suddenly became, um, you know, important yeah. or, or, or vital that he, he do something, he take action. Yeah, well, I think, as you said before, he wants to, he wants, he need, he realizes his, his motivation is, I need to get out of the lab. Mm. I need to talk to someone else, maybe sexual <laughs> interaction. But he, he, he realizes he need, he's been too alone for too long. Yeah. In doing that action, unfortunately, what he does is he's, he exposes his experiment. And then once he realizes, oh, crap, she actually might write about this. I'm. I don't want that. So then he's got to come up with another action, doesn't he? He's got to come up with a new decision. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and it is interesting, is it? Because is this story? Is she the protagonist, oh, or is this, he this, the protagonist? I have the same question up here for discussion. A, it's a, because it is a, and so if you're out there listening, maybe you need to let us know because it is hard to know. I reckon it's almost like uh, I sort of thought of it as there are two films here like the two stories you could take it from the point of view of you know seth brundle going along and he's uh an anti-hero in this yeah. case here because he has to overcome himself hmm. in order to claim victory yeah right? he, he commits suicide in the end essentially by yeah. saying shoot me in the head yeah um but at the same time you could take it from uh veronica's point of view and mm. we do the movie is split fairly 50 50 yeah it is point. Um, it could be from Veronica's point of view, she's come along and she's met this scientist guy who explains this thing and then she's going to go work with him and then he becomes more and more erratic. And certainly you could easily have a film that only showed her point of view and it would be, you know, it would be a, it would be a slightly different theme to it, yeah. but it would be a, still a very good film. So I thought it was actually kind of like two films, two stories, because yeah. they weren't, because they started both of them in the very first scene. Together. She's not... A B story, no. and nor is he. No, uh, the ex boyfriend is the B story, mm. and yeah. So, who's the protagonist? Yeah, like, it's sort of like Seth is the villain, but also protagonist, and mm. Veronica is sort of the protagonist, but also kind of a B story. Yeah, it's it's quite um, it's quite interesting from that point of view, and yeah, it does it go to show that even though we talk about these three acts and all these beats, and and this movie hits those beats. Yeah. It's it's not not a formula. Yeah, yeah. This is you know you can do formulaic films, but you can also hit all of these beats and still have yeah. people question which way is it going. Because really. you could argue that the catalyst for him is her going to write the story. Yeah, and then he's like, oh crap, no, I don't want that. Yeah. So his world has now changed, and he and then he comes up with the idea. Well, why don't you write the book? Right, like that's trying to be him solving the problem. Yeah, for her. Learning about the teleportation isn't a game shifter. She could she could just write an article and move on to the next scientist. Yeah, make her money, you know, move on. But then when he offers her to write the book, as he said the cheeseburger scene, mm. and then she decides, yeah, okay, I am going to write the book. That's her catalyst. So it's yeah. almost like it could be two different catalysts here. And and because she has that debate where. It's resolved when her ex, who's her editor, you know, basically continues to reveal himself to be a creep. Yeah. You know, and then she just gets driven basically towards Seth. Yeah. like, like, I'm not, nah, you're, no, you're just a piece of crap. You're, you're too crappy for me and too crappy yeah, for Yeah, in fact, that. I might just do this despite you. Yeah. <laughs> just to show that you don't have the power you think you have. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty interesting, that whole catalyst scene, the debate. And, you know, it doesn't have to be solved. I've, I've seen, what would I see... Oh, I, I've mentioned before, and we should probably do this one day, so I won't talk too much about it. Is the movie 
the map of tiny significant things or something rather. Okay. Remember. Yeah. That one is the opposite. It has like a catalyst point almost exactly at 12 minutes. There's literally one, two or three second camera shot. Bang. That's the catalyst. In- yeah. And you instantly recognize it is. And it's purposely set to being like the, the nature of this film is such that bang, there it is. Yeah. And you're almost waiting for it. And when I watched it and saw it, I just went, oh, that's refreshing. Hmm. There's no question. Like that. That is the moment. And it happened within one or two seconds. Like yeah. you just go, doot, doot, there, there we go, catalyst. Yeah. Wonderful. So I think then the breaking into two is basically him being drunk and teleporting. And unfortunately, when he does that, there's a fly in his teleportation. Yeah, we, we get. So by doing that, and, and you know what's interesting, I liked how they decided to show us this is. You know, we see we see it all, don't we? Whereas he doesn't. You know, so we yeah. get we get we see the fly with the baboon, bit of you know, oh no, it's there. We see him all get ready, hop into the machine. We see then the fly on the inside of the glass. You know, the teleportation happens. He hops out all buff and nude. Oh, okay, no, isn't it? Do I feel any different? The baboon hugs him. Or do you feel any different? Do, am, yeah. do, are you supposed to feel different? But we also see that the machine. The machine, the computer had read that there was another body in yeah. there. Subject one, subject two. Subject two, you know. So we sort of, we, the audience, I, lo- I loved how Cronenberg kind of revealed that to us, the audience. Like we, it's that real example of the audience knows more than the character. Well, this is you know? um, Alfred Hitchcock's example yeah. of what the difference the between the yeah. attention, the bomb under the desk, yeah. the audience can see it and can see the clock counting down, yeah. but the two people talking at the desk don't, don't know what's there. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the tension. Yes. Which is the, the audience is going just freaking... Move it, move it, get going. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, and the same here. Don't hop in the machine. There's a fly in there, you know. Yeah. So, uh, or yes, we want to see what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, show, show us <laughs> the this show, fly. Show I us. mean, the movie is called The Fly. Let's find out what that means. And so, then it is pretty clear fun and games because it's basically him. For him, it's breaking down. If we're going to work off two protagonists here, sorry, for him, it's the trailer. It's him becoming a fly, isn't it? So it's the the beginnings of becoming a fly. Yes. He gets the sticky fingers. When she hugs him and touches, she's like, oh, you got like prickles. Hairs on your back. Hairs on your back. Yes, I'm getting old. Yeah, oh. you know, like, yeah, people get hairs. He starts acting a little bit more irrational, but yeah. not anything too crazy. And like a lot of sugar in his coffee. Keeps having sugar. Yeah. Gets a bit aggro really rapidly. Does gymnastics. Does does the, yeah, he's like super strong. So he kind of, I was thinking when actually, it was now that I say it, when, when I saw that gymnastic scenes, I mean, that was kind of the Spider-Man scene, wasn't it? Yeah, that, well, that, he, that is, that's the, and that's sort of leading to a bit of a false victory as well. Is yeah. that it's like, oh, you were worried about this happening to fly yeah. and I should put, oh, no, he's actually... Up. Bigger, stronger, better, faster than he yeah. ever was. Like and, this is actually really good. And that's what he starts saying to her as well, doesn't he? He's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm sharper. I'm faster. I'm, I, I'm stronger." Think, I think the teleport must have purified. Him. Yeah, he talks about purification. For her, she's you know she's ditched the creepy editor. She's going to write the book, and then he offers her to go in the pots. Yes, and he and he sort of says, "You should go in the pods because it will purify you." So is this the midpoint? Well, I think it's, yeah, it's getting close to the period. Because to, to her, the fun and games was more, oh, yeah, I'm going to write this book. I'm going to go on this journey. I'm going to see where this goes. Oh, where is this relationship going? So mm. to me, it was like the fun and games was 
her kind, you know, and dissing. She had more power over the creepy boss. Yeah. Because she did, you know. Yeah, and then he he says, well, I don't think it's quite the midpoint here, but then he, he, he wants her to purify. She says no. And then so he's basically tells her to get lost. Yeah. And he goes He'll out. Go, I'll go find someone else. I'll go find someone else. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's not going to work out well, you can tell. <laughs> and and I think this is this, this must be sort of midpoint because that's where the relationship's breaking down. Yeah. He's becoming affected. Like his skin at that point is starting to get mottled. Like he's not looking as clear faced as he was. Yeah. And he gets when, the, um, he starts getting sticky fingers. Yeah. Cause he, he does that arm wrestle. Yeah. And when he's going, there's like that, that white, I assume some sort of glue or something Glue-y stuff sticks yeah. out and then he snaps his arm. Yeah. And again, bone. very, that's very Cronenberg. Like it doesn't just go snap and it nah. disappears off frame. It's like snap and the camera lingers on <laughs> it and you just sort of go, oh, that yeah, looks so the, awful. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And he gets the girl, he gets the tart at the... Yeah, he says, um, come on, you're coming home with me. And she's yeah. like, oh, well, yeah, okay. Yeah. Because I make great decisions. Right. <laughs> well, I think she does say, oh, well, we're not going, I'm not going home yet. You've got to take me to a few bars. Yeah. And and they do when they roll in and they're rolling in the taxi to his science lab. It's the morning. It's yeah. the early hours of the morning. Yeah, he, he demonstrates. And this is, in, I, I couldn't quite remember this when I watched it again, but he demonstrates to her, she's all... You know, right? Oh, well, we're going to have get it on, whatever. Um, so she's sort of sitting there, half naked, but he teleports again. Yeah, he does he teleports again. That, yeah. that would be quite mind blowing to see. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Although she's probably way too tired and drunk at the time to care. <laughs> yeah. um, and then he wants her to go in the teleportation. Yeah, and she thing. goes, "Nope, no." Yeah, I, I, I think I'd say no as well. That just yeah. seems like some sketchy warehouse, yeah. and it just seems. Very risky. In, even if you commercialize this, yeah. I would still, it would take a while before anyone trusted being disintegrated and reintegrated. Just sort of, yeah. it seems the consequences of failure are too great. I mean, you sort of say that with like air travel, but at least with air travel, there have been plenty of airplanes that have had to make emergency landings or even crashes. People have walked away from them. Mm. You're not walking away from a teleport accident. Well, I mean, I think even if you don't see what happens to him, as in a fly goes in with him and now he's a fly man. Just that idea, it's like you're not being transported. In a plane, you're being transported in the sky from one location to another. You're not vaporizing <laughs> into molecules. And then are you being rebuilt at the other end or are you actually transported? Do you know what I mean? Like, Because that's what also got me in this film. It almost alluded to... Is the machine like 3D printing you in a way? Yeah, well, that's sort of what it, he said. Like the stake was um, a, a synthesized yeah, idea of, yeah. of what the computer thought so when it I'm should be. Watching that this this time and having that explanation, I was like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like you're a cl- are you a clone? Are you yeah. something different? Are you a 3D well, see, printing I, yourself? That, that telepod would be so much better just for inanimate objects. Yeah. I mean, oh, parcel huh? delivery, that sort of stuff. Like, Yeah, you could just set your home, bang. Yeah, so good. <laughs> if you watch The Simpsons, uh, Treehouse of Horror, where, yeah, yeah. where they do this and Homer's doing it, like pushes it in front of the toilet. <laughs> so he, he's sitting on the couch and he goes to the toilet and yeah. reaches through, grabs a beer, he just yeah, <laughs> abuses it. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we get that's that's where we start getting the bad guys closing we in. We Because do, yeah. uh, Veronica he's... rocks up and tells him that she got the hairs tested mm. and they're more like an insect. Yes. And then... Seth gets a bit, he goes, no, you're just trying to destroy everything. You hate that I'm doing well and 
you're jealous, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, that's not even true, but okay. And he's, this is where they, you know, like, you know, it's the midpoint. We're heading downwards, the bad guys and stuff, because he's starting to then, he's whiter and he's, um, his skin is peely. Yeah, and he's, he's starting to good. break a little bit. Yeah, and, and he's getting a little bit crazy. And it makes him think. He stops and thinks and reanalyzes his computer program mm. and says, yeah, what's going on? And that's where he discovers that there was a fly. Yeah. You know, he does a, he's just doing a bit of work there. He's, he's having to wear gloves because his fingernails are ripped Rip out. Ripping off, yeah. And again, it's not like one fell out and you look at it. He then very de- you know, deliberately pulls mm. the other fingernail off and then like squeezes his finger. Squeezes, and, I like the squeezing. Uh, it's yeah. so disgusting. It is. Um, yeah, and, and he's just degrading and, and that's where he realizes it is the fly. Mm. And he goes through a period there of mourning where he's like, you know, he's he's slowly dying. He's mm. he, he comes out with the two walking sticks because he can't yeah. walk right and is, yeah, at the time I think people saying this was kind of an allusion to uh, the AIDS epidemic that was right. happening at the time. Yeah. But Cronenberg says it's not really. It's more like just in general about age and disease and cancer and like, yeah, yeah. you know, degeneration that inevitably happens. And he says that, doesn't he? Actually, he's to her. He goes, oh, it's like I've got a cancer. Like yeah. I'm, I'm probably just going to, it's probably just going to kill me. Yeah. In yeah. some, uh, you know, horrible and interesting way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, for her, it's, it's, you know, the, Creepy boyfriend. I think he yeah, he, he comes. Is this where he wants her body? He, I yeah, think in he, this, he's, he's getting possessive. Um, and Yeah, he, he's, he wants her dead body for his little I, whatever. And, and finally she says, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And says, fine, get me some a tape of this because you're, you're yeah. spinning some story. So she yeah. goes and films him. And this is where we, we don't, thankfully he's, we don't see this bit where he vomits on the donuts. No. And then you just hear the slurping, which I think is yeah. actually more disgusting. And that's what I loved, as I was saying earlier, that I loved that that moment in this film was great because he kind of, as you said, the scene before he was in the, he had the um, walk-in frame, whereas now he's saying he feels better and he's more enlivened. But what's happened is he's kind of gone more into more fly yeah, than he's human. Yeah, the side. And that vomiting scene to me is so pivotal because he, He's like, oh, you know, you, you, yeah, have some food, and he vomits, mm. and then he goes, oh no, that's kind of disgusting. Like, yeah. so it's this real, uh, yeah, it's like the two minds were fighting each other at the same time, and you know, so she, you know, she does she film him a bit, or is it too? Yeah, films films him um, explaining stuff that's right. because we then cut away to see he uh, wants to be filmed, ex. yeah. Watching the film, that's right. and you hear the vomiting on yeah. the packet of donuts. He says, "And I have to eat like a fly too." And yeah. you hear the vomiting and the yeah. slurping. And you know, John gets characters like um, Stathis, I think his name is. He's like, you know, pulling back in his chair, and he's, yeah. he's looking uncomfortable. And he's going, "Oh my god!" You know, like yeah. as as you can well imagine, it would it would be tremendously unpleasant mm. to to watch. And I think. Not seeing that, which is odd because we've, we saw the you know the guy's see arm break and yeah. we saw the initial vomit on the donut and stuff, and then we don't see this. Mm. We just see someone's reaction, like it's a reaction video yeah. of this guy watching something really horrible happening on the screen. And for her, this is uh, uh, to me, and this is the um, all is lost. Is she has a <laughs> she has a great horrific scene where. She's pregnant and it's alluded that... That's the one. All is lost. I, I said rock bottom. Yeah, all is yeah, lost. No, this is a, you know, like because it's something dying. Yeah. But it's a good gross scene in that she's rushed to hospital 
with the boss. Yeah. And this is a bit of a turning point for the boss because he is suddenly more supportive of her. And, God, you know, she, she wants the baby out and the doctor's pulling out this baby and he's like, oh, it's, you know, it's, you, you get, it's too late push and it's very visceral, it's very bloody. Mm. And it's one and then he's like, oh, it's more and it's, oh, it's another one. So it's like eggs, yeah. you know. And then he pulls out that maggot maggot like a huge maggot like it's a a huge maggot maggot, you know and she screams and she wakes it's a nightmare but then she realizes she is pregnant Mm. and so yeah so this is where this like dual protagonist thing is going on really um and so she wants to get rid of it and and it's it's also where seth has talked about because she goes and and tries she goes to Try to tell him. Yeah. And he's like crawling on the walls. He's crawling on the walls. And he's, he's all upbeat now. Yeah, Whereas he is. that last time where he's with his walking sticks, yeah, he he's, wasn't... he's all like, oh, I'm going to die now. This yeah. is really sucky. Whereas I'm now terrible. he's like, yeah, And now he's walking around going, oh, like, yeah, I'm changing. It's changing. Yeah. What do you think? What? And he lifts up his shirt and he's like, some weird great. What do you think that's going to be? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Could be anything. Yeah. You know, he's, he's all kind of thing. And he, and he comes out and, and, and this is the insect talks, politics. And, yeah, and this is where he says, yeah, I'm going to be the first insect politician because. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I'm not human anymore. He's, yeah. he's basically admitting, is it his his death of Seth? There yeah. is no Brundle now. It's yeah. Brundlefly. Brundlefly. And right. yeah, and so she goes. I can't tell him, mm. um, which is interesting because he goes down, and Seth's death moment is where he overhears and um, you know her saying, "I want this out of me." That's mm. when he realizes, "Oh, she's pregnant. It's my baby." Yeah. She came here to tell me that she didn't, mm. and now she's going to have an abortion. Like that's yeah. his. End of Act Three, like yeah, um, the thought that he could continue on, that there could be a, a human continuation. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I mean, here it's he's great. He's got these big puffy hands starting to appear. And he has his little museum he's, of history. He's got his little yeah, which is body parts, and I think the penis is yeah. in there. Uh, it's his nose, and he his ear pops off, doesn't yeah, it? His, his ear, ear comes yeah. off. And he puts it in there, and yeah, he's just got these. He's really coming into the formation. This is some awesome spirit. His hair's falling out in chunks, and yeah, and he's got this sort of rash coming over him. And yes, yeah, it's, it's it's you just got to watch it for that. I reckon. Is this like, again one of those things where he's like, how many hours in makeup uh, to get this hours going? Hours like, to get this going. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Act Three. You know, she's going to have an abortion to make sure that there's no. Infection, infection from or any maggots. Yeah, any maggots. Of. I mean, uh, and he doesn't want to have the brundle. The brundle carry over. He wants to keep the baby. Mm. So she rushes, and the, the editor. This is where the editor's kind of. We've already had him be a bit nicer, but you know, her resources is utilizing him and his sources. He has a doctor somewhere in the middle of the night that's going to do this. And, was was um, that Doctor Cronenberg? Or was was Cronenberg the one in the? I know that he played one of the obstetricians. I'm yeah. not sure if he was the one in the dream or this one here. Yeah, I don't know actually off the top of my head either. He, he yeah, was he was one of them, wasn't he? Yeah. So, gosh, yeah, I, can't I don't I don't know too well what Cronenberg looks like. He's, <laughs> I've seen some old, you know, some photos of him more recently. Yeah, but I don't know. Don't know what he looked like in the eighties, forty years ago, or yeah. it was a thirty something years ago. So anyway, she goes to have this abortion uh, lined up in a hurry. The doctor agrees to do it, and um, but with that, uh, good old Seth, who's now like a big half man, half fly thing, bundles through and, and smashes through the glass. Cut, smashes through the glass. And, the, and this has got to be a bit of an off. homage to the old creature features, like it is, Creature from yeah. the Black Lagoon, yeah, you know, totally, like King totally. Kong, it's all of King that. 
the monster comes and grabs the beautiful woman yeah. and drags her screaming her. off into the night. Yeah, to back to his lair, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Dracula, um, I suppose, as yeah, well. Yeah, Dracula All as well, women. yeah. So he does that, takes her back, and, and this is where, you know, he then explains, you know, his final plan is that, oh, not just two teleportations but three and mm. we'll make... What happens if you take... What does he say? Take Brundlefly and... and, and uh, more hu- he wanted to be... More human and more less human, fly. Less he fly. wanted to yeah, stabilize. Right. So yeah. finding a way to introduce more human in, into mm. him. And he's going, well, let's just bring it in. And he's, he's taking this opportunity. He's going, well, how about uh, you know, Veronica her. and my baby yeah. and me? And me, And yeah. then we'll then be we'll the, the perfect else. family, the yes. three of us in one body. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, very that's crazy. the standard crazy scientist yeah. talk, you know. <laughs> it is. And so he does shove her into a, um, a a port, into one of the telepods. Oh well, well I mean, I suppose we we could sort of say because we, we're looking at the yeah you know, the reversal here. Yeah, the Stathis turns up with a shotgun. Yeah, and you think you know, okay, there's going to be this confrontation, mm. but that's when yeah he gets acidized. Yes, and then yeah the that final bus coming. Yeah, the second one is being shoved into the teleporter pods. Yes, and you're going. Uh, and at, at this point here, I've seen this film before, but at this point here, watching it through, you're not sure entirely no, no. if this is going to go ahead yeah. or not. Because it's been creepy enough. It's that been maybe pretty that's... disturbing <laughs> that you could easily get something yeah, happening. you could easily get them coming out as some other creature at the end, right? Yeah, but luckily, even though he's just big chunks of flesh have come off him and he's emerged as the fly Ugh. and he's... Pressed the computer button. We've got a good old one-minute clock countdown. Yeah. He and Gina is shoved in there. Does yeah, the Stathis, Stathis wakes up enough yeah. to shoot the shotgun at the cables That's that right, connect yeah. Gina's pod. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gina, Veronica's pod. Yeah. Well, Gina, I forgot Gina Davis was in this film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the Brundlefly opens a pod. He tries to yeah. get back out and you're thinking, oh, my God, no, he's getting out. He's yeah. going to come Just screw everyone up. The pod goes off and yeah. he goes partially yep. with the door into the other pod. And nicely, the other pod doesn't have a glass front. No. So it's a total mystery what the yeah. hell's going to come out. And see, so fusion complete, Seth, you know, Brundlefly and Telepod. Yeah. <laughs> and you go, oh my God, what yeah. the hell is this going to be? That's right. And he comes out as this distorted. A horrendous thing, dragging a bit of cabling. Yeah, there's cabling coming out his asshole. (laughs) There's a bit of glass door in his head and he basically pleads to be Yeah, he he puts the shotgun to his head and uh, Veronica initially hesitates and says she can't but then goes blam. And again, we don't get just like a off-screen death here. We get the head exploded. Yeah, we do. And chunks and 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 bits. Yeah, bits going everywhere and yeah. Gene, Gene is screaming and then and that's straight it. to Roll credits. credits. Yeah, straight to credits. Yeah, is it like what a great way of ending a horror film. Like too I think it's too easy to try and end it with like a, a nice yeah. gentle letdown. Um and I think maybe one of the reasons it got an R rating is not just because of the obvious body horror, but also the fact that it leaves you feeling unpleasant. Because yeah. I know that some films get a higher rating, not because of any specific content, but just because the intensity of what's portrayed and the mm. way that you're left oh, yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah. You're left walking out of the film just going, yeah, and there was no swearing, no sex, no violence, but that's just not for kids. No. You know? And in and this one here you go, maybe you know, it's a bit animatronic here, you know, could be MA, I suppose, but yeah. then you get like this point blank head explosion <laughs> 
scene ends, movie ends, you don't get any, you know, happily ever after. You get no, no sort of, for all you know, um, Veronica's now in a mental institution with massive PTSD. That's right. And, of course, no Stathis, well, you know, dies of shock because yeah. he's had multiple limbs melted off him. And do you know what you say in that? Maybe that is Cronenberg's point here is that it's not a happy ending. No. These people aren't okay after this. No, no. That's, you know, I, would, I would not be. I was, you know, I'm sure there are people who are not okay after watching the they're film. Not, they're not just going to have a little smooch on the back of the ambulance, which happens all the time, right? Or the back yeah. of the limo, like Die Hard. They're going to. No. Yeah. Sh- they need psychological counseling for the rest of their lives now. Okay. That brings us to the end. What did you think about the narrative? Anything that points out to you? Um, anything we missed? Anything that you thought? So we were talking about that it's a bit of a dual protagonist story you're a little bit unsure who which character is the actual protagonist um you know is it seth or is it gina who or veronica is you know who is the actual protagonist so let us know hit us up on the socials what did you think about the fly so being a classic we kind of bundle this one into all the classics oh, that we've classics, looked at. Yes. Being a hundred episodes, we should have twenty classics now. We've got a whole bunch of them, yes. Um, so that list is getting a little bit longer. For myself, I kind of put it into another creature feature, which was the invasion of the body snatchers. Oh yes, right. So I kind of thought the fly and, and the invasion of the body snatchers, and I also thought Terminator. And my reasoning for these three is it's kind of like all three in a way. Uh, warnings. Yes. So that that was also how I did. So yes, invasion of the body snatchers is a bit similar to this. You know, creatures, features, and terminators not. But I did think that it's all about the warning of the future, the warning of these things messing happening, about and- messing about. And I thought, well, these three are kind of pretty cool to watch mm. together. And yeah, just sort of similar. Also, another thing is the special effects in all three are awesome. Yes. Um, obviously, Invasion going back a bit further, but uh, but great special and again, effects. Terminator, like I, I say, bring back more practical effects. Oh, big time! Like Terminator smashed it out of the park with special I effects. I mean, CGI is really handy, and you can do stuff that you simply. Yeah, you know, I was watching that show, The Last of Us, mm. on HBO. That show, that story, could not have been made without massive CGI. Like yeah. you just couldn't do it. Um, but at the same time, the fly, if that was all CG, just not, it just doesn't have the impact, you know, just that knowing that this is real sloppy bits blopping on the ground (laughs) and, and gooping on people and, you know, ripping fingernails off and, you know, it it makes it textural, doesn't it? You can see it. Yeah. I mean, even though you sort of look at it and go, it sort of does look a bit rubbery, Yeah, but at the same time. It's kind of, well, not. Yeah, yeah it's, it's oozy enough. Yeah. Anyway, they're my three. What about you? What other films do you recommend well, the audience I, to obviously watch? Obviously, I went with, uh, I say obviously, obviously I went with Event Horizon. Yeah. Just because, like, if you if you like The Fly and you like that unsettling feeling, Event Horizon has also um, a, an unsettling feeling to it. Yeah, it does. Uh, it's got a really nice uh, science fiction, you know, Fast and light travel in space, space rescues, and there's there's features of um, you know, space um, survival and so forth, which is really mm. good. So those two together, obviously, uh, and then Alien, because mm. again, Alien is that that body horror. Something is growing in you, or something, something inhuman mm. has taken over. Yeah, yeah, and. And it is it is quite a horrific thought that is often yeah. used in horror films because there's the ones which are just um, 
uh, I suppose you could sort of say that the Terminator, where it's a hunting, you're being yeah. hunted by something, whereas you get things like Alien and you know Body Snatchers and The Fly, mm. and there's kind of this internal enemy. Mm. It's 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 something that you thought you could trust, but you can't. You can't, yeah, yeah. You can't, and and it's also like, well, do you blow your head off? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Is that, is that the only answer here? Yeah, it's yeah. Well, I think and that's always all. the question. I think for El Brundle, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a uh, it's an unsettling series of movies for, uh, we'll be looking at. It is watching and that. Yeah, what would you recommend other films to look at with The Fly? All right, so all right, science time. Sorry, are science we talking time. about insects and flies? Yeah, teleportation. Because oh. I was reading the the latest. Damn you heard it. of this thing called? I wanted flies. Quantum teleportation. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, a record has been broken, 143 kilometres of quantum teleportation. Mm, no way. What does that even mean? I don't know. What are they teleporting? Te- what are they teleporting? Turns out Jesus. nothing as interesting as you might like to think. Ah. But in yeah relationship to the film, the film had these two telepods, right, where mm-hmm. uh, and it wasn't instantaneous. Yeah, you didn't go from one and flash, flash in your other. There was kind of a translation process. And quantum teleportation is a bit like that. So quantum Mm. teleportation is the transfer of information, quantum information, which you could use to represent numbers or whatever. Like Mm. Your your computer just uses numbers to represent everything you use on it. So you could certainly do that. Yeah. But, you know, physicists don't care about what you're going to use this for. That's not really the point. The point is how do we get information from one location perfectly replicated in another location, teleporting, right? The sad thing, of course, for all of us is it's not faster than light, even though the information is available theoretically faster than light, it's not actually faster than light. And that's because... The way you do a teleportation in this sense is you get two, let's, let's say, atoms or molecules or, or whatever it is. They've done it with uh, clusters of like uh, multiple atoms and things, so little little molecules. Yep. And you bring them in together and you establish a single quantum state. You entangle them. Mm-hmm. That usually just means getting them close together uh, and then like cooling them down quite a bit and then yeah. letting them sit. And then they basically become indistinguishable they don't have separate states about right. them. They're just yeah. the one measurement would affect the whole system. Mm-hmm. And then you take one of the things, so you take A away from B and you separate them by some distance. Now they're still entangled so that you haven't, the problem is you can't look at them because yeah. if you go and measure them, you, you change what it is or they collapse right. and become whatever it is that they actually are. Uh-huh. So they could be you know, representing a, a one or a zero or both at the same time. Uh-huh. You don't know until you observe it, the whole yeah, Schrodinger's yeah. cat business. Uh, and so then what you do is you take a measurement on the first, which yeah. presi- presents a, some information, like it'll tell you one of those four states, a one, a zero, a zero or a one, right. depending on which way around it goes. And then you send that information, normal means like a like a like the internet or however you want, over to the second location where they take that information and use it to apply the measurement onto this other atom, mm-hmm. which means it now takes the exact same state. So what you've really, you've teleported the state. So if the electrons are spinning to the left on the first one, you now have you know, transferred that exact same electron arrangement and spinning on, on the second one. 
Okay. Which sounds kind of pointless. Yeah. Because you, know, <laughs> you go, well, okay, what's the deal with that? And it, and it, it sort of is. It's kind of a bit of a theoretical thing, but it does demonstrate, though, that you've not destroyed information, so you can't destroy it. You can't travel the information faster than light because the only way you can get that perfect replication, the teleportation of that state, mm -hmm. is by sending the information separately by normal means and then applying it. Right. But if you look at the telepods, he's sort of saying the same thing here. He's saying he takes the first one in, in telepod one, uh, he measures it yeah. and determines what it is and then from presumably from just matter or energy in the mm -hmm. second telepod he exactly replicates it yeah right and so that that quantum teleportation is important because it's not just you know you can imagine if if you had two swings and you pushed one so it swung back and forth five times per minute you could go up to the other one and sort of push it until you get it to five times per minute you go hey i've done it but you haven't they're they're slightly different this is making them exactly the same. Mm. So their quantum state is exactly the same, yeah. which for teleportation like, like this would mean then that the brundle that came out the other, or the brundle fly that came out the other side would be atomically and to the quantum level exactly the same. So mm. we worried about whether this teleportation disintegrates you, it kills you, and then recreates a clone of you. The answer is yes, but it's a perfect clone. Mm. It is exactly... All of your atoms in the same state they were, mm. but just at a distant location. Yeah. If you could do that to something larger than a couple of electrons or something, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you could actually do it to a macroscopic size thing, which in theory you could because a macroscopic creature like myself is made up of lots of tiny little quantum particles. Yes. So if you pulled me apart into all of my separate atoms mm -hmm. and then entangled them all, with another pile of atoms, mm. sent the other pile off to wherever you wanted me to teleport to, and then reconstructed me by sending, you know, measuring all of these atoms to find out what state I was in when I got pulled apart. Mm. You could then reset all of the atoms on the other side to the same state. Then you just need some sort of weird technology to like stick them all back together again. <laughs> so totally impossible. Well, you know. Or it, it's it's highly improbable mm. to the point that you know you may as well just consider it to not be useful. But we we have another thing which is kind of like teleportation. You might have heard of quantum tunneling. Yes, quantum tunneling is uh, is is pretty mind bending. In this very interesting point is that uh, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle basically says that you can't measure both the the exact position and the speed of a particle at the same time. If you were to measure the particle's exact position to a probability of one, as in you are 100% accurate, yeah. it would have zero speed and would not exist. Cool. Since you can't do that, there's always some non-zero amount of unknown speed. Right. And unknown location. What that means is, is we, we can look at a, a particle like a photon or an electron or something as a packet of probability like a field where it's most likely in the middle it's going to it's the most probable yep. if you look at it as a, as a two dimensional like a, like an eye shape you know it's, it's yep. thin at one end gets fat in the middle thin at the other end much like a brontosaurus according to uh, monty <laughs> python's theory of brontosauruses and in the middle is where it's most likely to be almost certain to be uh -huh. and as you get down to the ends but the ends are exponentially less certain so it drops off at an exponential rate which means every one unit further out it's half again as probable yep so as you move away from the center of where you say let's call it an electron it becomes less likely it's going to be in that position but not zero mm -hmm. likelihood 
in fact, that extends out to the universe. Yeah. So at, yeah. At, at any given point anywhere in the universe, there is a non-zero chance that you exist. Yeah. It's just, however, you would have to go through, you know, 10 to the 100 universe lifetimes in order for you to exist somewhere other than where you are. Yeah. It's just that, like, so you can say it's not going to happen. Yeah. It could. Yeah. This could be that one universe where you suddenly disappear and appear on the other side of the universe. Yep. That it, it's, you know. With sausage fingers. It's hypothetically possible. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, but for the point of view of an electron, say, if you fire, let's say you fire 100 electrons at a very thin film of gold, mm-hmm. you'd expect like the electrons do not have enough energy to get through the gaps in between the um, gold atoms. Right. Like the, the electromagnetic force, the strong and the weak forces holding that gold together is too strong. The electron does not have enough power to get through. Mm-hmm. But... Its probability field, if it's a thin enough sheet of gold, overlaps and pierces through the other side of the gold. Mm -hmm. Let's say 1% chance of the electron actually being on the other side of the gold sheet because its its probability field extends out to that point. Mm -hmm. So you shoot 100 electrons at it, you would expect one electron Mm -hmm. to be measured on the other side. And this experiment has been done. Uh, in various ways that they, you know, shoot a bunch of, I think they use something, like, I think they actually shot protons or something, you know, ex, you know hydrogen ions basically yep. at a magnetically charged foil. Yep. And you work out the probability based on the, the size of, a, you know, a, a proton's um, wave field and then the amount of energy you give it, you know what its probability is out to various things. So you get a, a thin enough sheet of whatever, you mm-hmm. shoot enough protons at it and you measure on the other side and you get out the number of protons that you'd expect yep. according to this calculation. And, and that's true. That's, that's mm-hmm. been measured, which is you know, one of the things I love about science and, and why flat earth and all that is so crazy is because, yeah. because that, you sort, of, you sort of say a proton can go through a sheet of you know, foil one in a hundred, we'll leave, we shoot a hundred protons at and one of them came through exactly yeah. as predicted. Voila, there, there you go. go. <laughs> yes, so anyway, that's, that's quantum tunneling, which is useful uh, to take into account for things like um, there's a quantum tunneling electron microscope which can detect because, of course, when the, um, the probability field hits this barrier, mm-hmm. It drops away exponentially, like mm-hmm. because you'd imagine it, the barrier will absorb its energy and and it'll it'll reflect off it because it's a wave and a particle. Yeah. But it drop away exponentially, it comes out the other side. You can't have you haven't lost the energy. It has the same energy. It's got a smaller amplitude but a higher frequency. Yeah. And this this can be done um, as a form of sensing. So you know then things about the material that you've shot your electrons at mm-hmm. based on what the variety of the energy levels or the frequencies of the electrons coming out the other side. Right. So we can actually use it to have a look at extremely small things at the, their molecular structure. Mm-hmm. And so you can see, you can go online, you can find images where people have taken, you know, images of molecules like down to that level. Uh, and it's used in computer chips and all anything you want to get really super small. Mm. That's what we're talking about. And so it is useful. So tunneling, it does also mean that if you shot enough people at a brick wall, there is a non-zero chance that one of them will just appear on the other side of that brick wall. Yeah. 
I have a feeling, though, the number of people you have to shoot at that brick wall <laughs> would go beyond most ethical boundaries. <laughs> you would end up with a mountain of dead humans. You'd have several universes worth of mountains of dead yeah. humans, yes. yes. But, Eventually. You know, hey, you know, there, there will be a universe somewhere where that human does go through the wall. And, and it'll go, wow, that was really fantastic. Yeah. Except their, you know, their amplitude has dropped and their frequency has increased. I don't know what that does to a person. <laughs> Sausage fingers. Sausage fingers <laughs> is just the old answer. It's the answer to everything. I now. just, yeah, the, the quantum. But it, it does bring to light this whole idea that if you're looking at the relativity and this uncertainty and the, the inability to measure, you know, speed and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. If you look at like a photon, and this is what blows my mind, from the point of view of a photon, because they're traveling at the speed of light, which is the boundary condition of mm-hmm. travel, they cover, they have no distance in their perception. Like if you were a photon traveling at the speed of light, mm-hmm. there's no distance. You are everywhere all at once. Right. And every, in fact, there could just be one photon and we just share it. <laughs> I know. It's, it's that like, does head in. I know. It's, it's like, that's where that movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once comes in. But it's, yeah. it is just, it, it's mind blowing when you start looking at these things. That's all the theoretical, hypothetical. Yeah. There's the practical side, which, as I said, is the, the, the probabilities of these things drop off. And when I, when I say each one unit, it goes half. Mm. The units we're talking about is like widths of an atom. Yeah. So once you're about, you know, 10 atom widths away, you're down to such a small probability that it's not going to happen. Yeah. Right. But we had the Big Bang. That happened. Yeah. How long did that take? There was no time or space prior to the Big Bang. So it was kind of one of those cases where there was, it was just like there was a non-zero chance of there being a universe. Eventually there was a universe. Mm. Hmm. There you go. And we have no idea how long that was. Well, well yeah, I mean, according to according to that theory, there was no time. Time itself, <laughs> um, it's like the, for the photon, you know, like there's, there's just yeah. no, you're at the edge condition of yeah, of right. there being space. Space-time didn't happen until you had this happen, which, again, it, it turns your brain into spaghetti yeah. if you try and think too hard about it. That's why it just all turns into maths. <laughs> yeah, you just get mathematical equations. That's the beginning of the universe. Why? What happened before that? Well, I don't know. If you if you do the equation, it's zero. It's zero. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh that doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense, and that that would require a whole other podcast. I think. But I I loved that this teleport. I don't know that Cronenberg or anything were actually really trying to uh, elaborate on that. No, no. When the short story it's was first written on back in the forties or the fifties. Like that, yeah. That were that was. Nuclear power. Yeah, it was yeah. the post-war. Post-war. Uh, it was all. A lot of these theories were really coming out because the atom bomb had kind yeah. of popularized, if you like, the whole Einsteinian and and Rosenberg. Yeah, and, and I mean, and, there was all that old, you know, the nineteen forties science exploration to win a war meant that science was pushed into sci-fi yeah. realms that then it was very easy for creatives to kind of basically go, yeah, but what if you t- teleported and there was a fly in the machine? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so it was quite good that this, this teleporting of Brundle and fly, it it's also a bit prescient of today's chat GPT and AI. Like I've I've got an application I'm writing now. I've, I've, I've signed up. I've paid my money. I've for the open AI's API so I can deal with the thing. So I can, I'm just playing around with what I can generate out of it. Yeah. 
and and one thing you can do is is do transcripts from podcasts to text and then you can tell it to categorize the text and then create images based on the themes so we'll see i'll i'll, I'll see where i can get to with that yeah but the computer he says you know it read the information mm. and had the two you know the fly and brundle mm. and it didn't know what to do so it kind of combined them yeah and you can do that now with these image generators where yeah, you say, right, yeah. you know, an image of a cat and a submarine. Yeah. You know, what What would that look like? And it just goes, and goes, what, this is kind of <laughs> what I think a cat submarine would look like. Yeah. And yeah, so I don't think, again, in 86, <clears throat> I don't know, imagining computers really able to do that. Yeah. But it's kind of what they hinted at here. Yeah, it was yeah, sort it of was. looking to our current future, our mm. current day uh, AI. Mm, very interesting. So that brings us to the end of the fly. Give us a rating. Let us know what you thought about our review and also hit us up on those socials of, yeah, what uh, you thought about the fly. Yeah, let us know. And also check out uh, Film Free uh, Film Freeway, Film Freeway for the, for the entries. <laughs> Filmfestival.spacebrains.com.au yeah. or just spacebrains.com.au and then yeah. click on the Film Festival links. Yeah, plenty uh, of links. You can get through there or jump on our, our Instagram in particular yeah. or Facebook. They've got lots of links all over the place. They do and the tickets are for sale through Humanitix. So if you just, I did it the other day as a bit of a test run, we are, some tickets are selling. So, so yep. jump on board, don't miss out. There is a very limited amount of seats for the workshops and there is a limit to yeah, the theater too sorry but it is quite a small number for the workshop so get on in quickly if you want to come to them and we look forward to seeing you there next episode sorry no nope. will be no nope. no nope. no oh so there's no nope. next episode okay no nope. it's 100 next episode no nope. yeah nope. next episode is nope uh, uh the jordan, jordan peel yes yeah. Okay, awesome. We look forward to that. I have not seen it. You have? Yes. I nope. am enjoying it. <laughs> nope, I haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, follow us online and we'll see you next time. See ya. Bye. Bye.